0: What's up, everyone? Alex here with another episode of Founders Journal, your number one source for all things entrepreneurship and business building. A couple weeks ago, I had Nick Huber come onto the podcast as the first ever guest Founders Journal. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go check it out now or after you've listened to this episode. doesn't matter when. All I know is a lot of people emailed me basically saying that It was incredible. Nick talked about his rise from starting a service business in college to buying his first self-storage property, now having $150 million worth of self-storage while also owning 10 cash-flowing businesses. I got so many emails from listeners saying how much they like this episode, so much so that they want to get guest episodes in just the constant flow of this show. Sort of makes me wonder if y'all are just tired of hearing my voice, but in all seriousness, I think these guest journals are going to be such a core part of founders journal because I'm not an expert on everything, but I have access to a lot of experts. And so I would love for them to tell their stories and share their lessons as well. Anyways, today I'm bringing on another guest, actually guests, a dynamic duo within the morning brew universe, Michael Sikand and Simron Sandu. They are the founders of our future, a media company that covers all things business for Gen Z. And these two guys are absolutely crushing it. Our feature specializes in short form video content that breaks down businesses, entrepreneurship, finance, tech, you name it. And they are honestly how I view Austin and myself just eight years earlier. They are hungry. They are on the cutting edge of media. They know more about media for Gen Z than basically anyone else I know. And they're already near a million subscribers across Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, and they're just getting started. In addition to all of this content they've already created, they're launching their own podcast, and it's called Our Future Podcast. It's basically the most important strategies, tactics, and tips from the best Gen Z entrepreneurs on planet Earth. Make sure to follow it and subscribe to hear more of those stories. But on this episode of Founders Journal, Michael and Simi talk about how they started our future from the dorm room, how they built it up and how they ultimately got acquired by Morning Brew. And while selling your business might seem like the finish line, there's a whole other side of post-acquisition life that you have to consider and that Mike and Simmy are gonna share with you. So we're gonna dive right in right after this quick break.
1: Hello, hello, Founders Journal listeners. This is Michael Sikand.
2: Joined by Simran Sandhu.
1: We're here to give you guys a masterclass on how to hijack somebody else's audience. (laughs) Not exactly. We're here to tell you guys a lesson about when it makes sense to sell a company.
2: Usually there can be a few reasons that come to mind. Maybe things just aren't working out anymore or you're no longer scaling to the point where you want to be. Um, And a lot of reasons can play into that. Maybe you're just getting burnt out. You don't want to hire an operator and you would prefer to just exit. Another reason could be that given the competitive landscape, maybe it just makes sense for you to join a bigger player. And usually there could be a good or bad reason in play here. A good reason is you can scale quicker. There's more resources. Essentially, you get to take a shortcut. And then a bad reason is maybe there are just certain barriers to entry or there's limitations in the market. But given that you have something of value, maybe it's a specific product or just through pure knowledge and insights, you can add value to an acquirer. And then the last thing that comes to mind is you just get a great offer. They're stuffing your face with tons of cash, and you're like, okay, maybe I don't necessarily want to sell, but given the money, it can make a lot of sense.
1: So, where were we with our future? Things were going well. I think by the time that we approached the end of our talks with Morning Brew, our company was generating more revenue than it ever had. So to give you guys a little bit of a background, our future began as a podcast series where we interviewed successful CEOs and founders on an audio format. Then after seeing the rise of short form video, we pivoted into creating original content across TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, you name it, and get billions of views on these short 60 second videos where we talk about business news in a fresh and unique way. We scaled that into millions of subscribers, and then we realized we needed another revenue channel. We started an agency service where we targeted big enterprises and helped them with their short form content as well. So that's a little bit of a background on the business that we were running. Now, when we looked at the acquisition with Morning Brew, we saw our dream acquirer. Morning Brew had made business exciting and digestible to millennials. We had made it happen for Gen Z. So. There was no better extension of the Morning Brew brand to come and absorb our future. So on top of brand alignment, right, what we were really looking for was to become a weapon of a larger organization. And that's because the space we were operating in, short form video, is a very challenging category to be in, right? You don't control the views, you don't control the audience, and you're built atop these layers of social media platforms. So it's very hard to have a sustainable business that can stand the test of time and can wrestle its way through algorithm changes when you have no idea what's coming to you. Morning Brew, they built an email newsletter, they built a very defensible, sustainable business with a strong audience, and they own that audience. And now our future can help and benefit through some of those channels. Whether it's us being on this new pod and being able to tell you guys about our new podcast with our future, or it's getting shouted out in the daily newsletter or doing collab posts with Morning Brew's Instagram, the synergies have been fantastic.
2: You also have to recognize the limitations within your industry. We chose an industry where it's extremely easy to get started being media. However, over time, you realize that there is a pretty significant cap to this model. You're primarily dependent on advertising, which can be you know, volatile and fluctuate. You'll have really, really good months. You're going to have bad months. It's hard to build a business off of that, especially when you and several other media organizations are competing for the same advertising dollars. And so that was something that we recognized within our own approach, which was we may not necessarily want to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years building a business in this space. And so what we realized is once we decided to go down the acquisition path, we wanted to find out creative ways to get on an acquirer's radar. And I think there's a few different ways that you can approach this. So First step is recognizing who would even want to buy this company. I think a good way to look at it is, one, is there a bigger, more established competitor? For us, it was Morning Brew. Another aspect could be it's a startup. Fresh funds, they're looking to make some quick moves in the space so you can take advantage of that. Another reason could come into the strategic category. So... One thing could have been maybe it was a D2C company looking for you know a media arm so they could reduce their CAC. Another example of this we've seen play out in the media space is HubSpot buying The Hustle, right? It's a big SaaS company and The Hustle provided this opportunity for lead gen and customer acquisition. Or maybe it's private equity. It's someone who thinks they can run your business better than you can or take it to the next level and they're willing to cut off the fat and do whatever it takes in exchange you your flush with cash. And now there's
1: even like micro pri- private equity, right? You can go yeah. with Gezdecky with uh, Acquire.com and still try and find yourself with a, a small exit of some kind. So it's been cool to see the marketplaces emerge lately. But getting on an acquirer's radar, I mean, in my opinion, the best thing you can do to position your company for an exit is to turn your ideal acquirer into your customer somehow or a stakeholder in some sense. So let me wind back the clock. I was hell bent on talking to to Alex Lieberman. It's crazy I'm on his podcast right now, even though he's not here. I was a Michigan student and I reached out to him and I got an interview with him on my podcast and he had no idea what I was doing. I don't think he took my vision to create the next big business media brand seriously. However, I was able to establish that rapport And then I just kept proving my value to him. I connected Alex with the chief growth officer of Beyond Meat and the chief financial officer of StockX, and I brought them all together for an awesome panel that took place at a Michigan online entrepreneurship conference. So I was always keeping this person who had built the business that I wanted to build close enough at arm's reach so that I could ask him questions, learn from him, get that mentorship, and just kind of get into his headspace a little bit, as well as just being an avid consumer of his content. Now, let's fast forward to when we had built a significant business and audience. Austin Reef, I had been on Twitter a little bit, and somehow Austin had stumbled into my little universe through my tweets. I think I got on his radar because Morning Brew was a customer of our future. Morning Brew was looking for our future to drive email conversions for the newsletter. And what we were doing was creating an interesting video about Alex or Austin and our content Or maybe we talk about how Warren Buffett reads a newspaper every single day, so creative hooks, and then we tell our audience to subscribe to Morning Brew after. These deals that Morning Brew did with our future in the fall of 2021 ended up driving tens of thousands of new Morning Brew subscribers. So if the writing was on the wall in any way, it was in dollars and cents, and I think that's a great way to get the attention of an acquirer is to drive real value and have them be your customer.
2: Yeah, I think a great point that anyone can take, regardless of what industry they're in, is you want to get the acquirer involved early on. And so to Michael's point, you can either work with them or be a partner with them in some capacity. For us, to Michael's point, it was driving tens of thousands of subscribers through ad deals for Morning Brew. Or if you're looking to raise funding, That's a great opportunity to to get them involved as well. Get them to be the lead investor. You see this a lot in tech. You see this a lot in healthcare. So that's another cheat code. There's also ways where you can get intros through friends and family. So maybe it's something where... Maybe you're just connected in a space or all it takes is one very well-connected person in your network to make an intro to someone at the company. Maybe they buy into your idea and conversations escalate and you can make the most out of that. And I think the last way you can approach this is just through scrappy ways. We even heard of a guy, this guy, Kinnan Saleh, who sold his company to Lyft and it all took place on a LinkedIn conversation. You just reached out to someone on the corporate development team there and was able to facilitate a conversation exit that company.
1: Well, look at what we did. We reached out to the biggest player in the media market and it was originally through the lens of fundraising that we were going to raise money for our future and build a media conglomerate is how we got some of these potential acquirers interested. So maybe it's also a cheat code to like look to these companies to raise money But at the end of the day, they're going to be more interested in an acquisition because that makes more sense for a lot of companies, especially smaller ones than corporate venture capital.
2: So what happens is once you're in front of the right people at these companies, now you can think about how you want to frame the company and how you're going to negotiate and ultimately sell. I think a few things to note here, most importantly for us, one of the biggest learning is most of the time it's going to take longer than you expect. The deal is probably going to fall through a few times before it actually gets to a point where the offer makes sense for both parties. Roses are red, violets are blue, deals fall through. And I think it's so important that you have the right people around you. And this comes in, one, on the technical side. So you need the right lawyer, you need the right accountant, right? There's a lot of people where you may be working with someone just because they're the cheaper option, but recognize that that can actually hurt you in the long term if they mess up on, you know, an important term that's very uh, significant for you in the long term. And I think ultimately, if you've never sold a company before, it's really important that you lean on experienced people around you. So this can be uh, trusted advisors, mentors. And I think that was something we did with with our future as well. We had this in the form of John Pleasance. And this guy
1: isn't like a brand name celebrity in business by any means, but he's well known. I remember sending an email to Mark Cuban about raising money. He's like, oh, I love John. <laughs> John is a former president of a, a Disney unit and used to eat lunch with Bob Iger every Monday. And he sold multiple companies, was on the board of Peloton, uh, ended up selling like an oven company for like hundreds of millions. So the guy is absolutely credentialed and loaded in the business world. And having him along and you know getting him on a call with kind of those earlier conversations we had with with Morning Brew COO Matt Resnick was a good little pepper of credibility to two young cats trying to sell their business.
2: And you can do everything right, but you still have to manage expectations. I can think back to so many different phone calls that Michael and I had with various acquires over the past year. And we would be so excited once we would leave the call. We're like, okay, it's a great fit. They're bought in. We're going to make this deal happen really quickly. And that just didn't happen
1: you have to protect yourself mentally, right? If you are going into these conversations and you're getting really excited, you have to just revert back to the advice we gave earlier, which is these deals just take a really long time. And obviously, like most deals fall through. So you can't do this fake mental imagery of like what it's going to be like post-acquisition and you're going to get this money and you're going to get all this fame and PR and whatever. Like you have to put that out of your head and you have to think very intentionally. You have to say, If you're fully in the boat of selling your business, if you're fully committed to that route, I think it's a great route. I think it's life-changing. However, you need to know that you might get dragged through the sand. If companies sense that you are desperate or you're actually very for an acquisition, the urgency is, is less there. So let me go to a case of an entrepreneur who's on the fence about selling their business. You're actually in a better position because it's a lot harder to hide it when you actually really want something. So when you're in the position of someone who kind of wants to sell their business, be firm, be upfront, and set good time horizons. That means if you are serious, hello, sir, if you are serious about acquiring my business, I need a term sheet in 30 days. And I think that de-risks the process for getting your expectations mismangled and blown up into a million pieces.
2: When it comes to making sure you don't get dragged in the sand, it's so important that you find out who the actual decision makers are, because ultimately, what you don't want to happen is you get stuck behind these guys that we would commonly refer to as gatekeepers. They're people that make you feel like there's progress being made, but the needle isn't actually being moved. Nothing is final until
1: those papers are signed. Like everything is up for negotiation literally until the 11th hour when the papers start getting printed and the printers start heating up. So when pitching your company in the acquisition process, I also think it's really, really important to pitch yourself. It is very rare that a company is acquired without some kind of acqui-hire structure, right? And a lot of the time, if if you wanna exit your business, You probably don't have that strong thesis or defensibility that would have been afforded to a founder who may want to build their business over several years or 10 years, right? You may have already done that calculation in your head, right? Like this idea, this product, whatever, it just isn't going to be able to stand on its own two feet, or at least I don't want to be the one to try and bring it there. So your job is going to be integrating that firm into your new acquirer. It's going to be they're in many ways buying you, right? The more and more you look to jive and get along with the people who you're discussing your acquisition with the better because you're going to be with these people for some time you are going to be absorbed into their firm and you may get a salary or get a golden handcuffs or get beyond a revenue target and i think it's really important that you understand that you are comfortable and working for these people we're going to take a quick break but more from founder's journal when we get back
2: So you ultimately find yourself in two situations. One is it's very opportune. Maybe you created a product or service that can live on without you, which is awesome. Um, And then you can go travel, you can go chase another burning idea you have, or to Michael's point, you find yourself locked there for the next two to three years. And I think there are a lot of pros and cons that come with it. On the pro side, there is some sense of stability. You actually feel relaxed and you feel like you have some room to breathe. Maybe you can go take that trip you always wanted to do, or maybe you can, now you can work a little bit slower because you're afforded these resources. Because now you're at a bigger company, you're positioned to build something much bigger. Maybe it's through capital, maybe they're giving you more money to go build out certain things. Maybe you have more team members that you can leverage. Or that was something for us that was a really big advantage, especially when it came to content creation on your side, Michael. So once you get into the doors of your acquire, now it's time to unlock
1: those synergies. I remember for us, we were really, really focused on capturing as much of those synergies as possible, which is why we went and uh, moved to New York after the acquisition, so we could really mesh with the Morning Brew team and understand this company's culture and get their incredible uh, studio facilities and increase the value of our content off the bat and get in with the social people so we get the cross-posting correct and grow our audiences more aggressively by partnering with different Morning Brew social accounts and such. So that was super important for us to, to kind of be there and boots on the ground when your business is acquired, right, you're in a little bit of a different situation than being just like a new hire to a company. So I think it makes a lot of sense to break down those barriers with other people who work at the firm, because you will need them. You need other stakeholders inside your company to help your acquired company succeed inside it. So it's really important that you go through that work and do that effort of establishing what your company does and finding people to support its mission and you.
2: You have to be able to navigate the internal environment. And sometimes you're probably going to be met with some resistance, right? Just because the key decision makers like the deal does not mean everyone in the company will like you, what you're doing, or you may just be competitive to them in some way, shape or form, right? So recognize that. Also, it feels like one of those things where everything feels like it takes longer. So if you're trying to push forward simple initiatives, recognize you can't just you know, on a whim, go make the credit card purchase for something you wouldn't have thought twice about. So recognize you're going to have to adhere to these processes internally. You may not like it, but it's the decision you made. And ultimately, it's in your best interest to put up with it at the best you can.
1: It's a lot easier to be an entrepreneur than an intrapreneur. So just an interesting note before we move on to our next topic, which is what is the future of our future at Morning Brew? Obviously what our main product was, was our short form video series. We've been integrating with Morning Brew's ad sales team and they now sell all of our ads. So that's a really interesting synergy. And they do that on our short form video series. So I make videos about startups and companies that fascinate me and I think will draw a lot of inspiration for our millions of people who watch these videos every single month. Channels have grown really aggressively, whether it's been TikTok, whether it's been uh, Instagram or YouTube after the acquisition, we just saw a really strong uplift in subscribers. Maybe it was because of this stamp of credibility, but it was also because our production resources increased. My mind got clearer. I could focus more and I could hire more talent around myself to help our content be as good as it could be.
2: And to supplement the original content side, we're also scaling out our enterprise agency division. So we're working with some of the biggest companies in B2B and even large podcast networks, which is super exciting. So it's taking everything we were doing before and adding a certain level of scale and intensity and honestly, credibility that we've been able to leverage into more deals. And so what I think we're most excited about in the near term horizon is this podcast we just launched our future podcast
1: is the entrepreneurship show for young people. So me and Sim, we chop it up on the pod. And we profile some of the hottest and most exciting up and coming young founders, like maybe under the age of 30, in the entire world. And we break down their tactics, we break down the stories, they got them to where they are, and all the big lessons and takeaways for what it takes to build a revenue generating business using
2: lean entrepreneurship. Most importantly, we just want this to be a guidebook or a tool that other young entrepreneurs can reference because when you're in the trenches building your very first company, we recognize how difficult that is. You're just hoping someone takes a bet on you. You don't know what you don't know. And so you find yourself learning through your mistakes and hopefully through this podcast, we can help you avoid some of those things. And we just had our second
1: episode drop and it was really cool. We talk about a 23-year-old millionaire in the software implementation space and a 22-year-old kid who managed to sell his FinTech app to a hedge fund for tens of millions only a few years after immigrating to the US from China. So we really go deep on these founders and we talk about what makes their stories different and the divergent thinking that got them to where they are. And I think the show is also pretty interesting for older folks as well to see kind of like what the new Zuckerbergs are up to and how young people are going about building their businesses in, in 2023. So thank you all for having us on Founders Journal. It was an absolute honor. You can check out our future podcast on YouTube, and you can also listen wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. That will be linked in the show's description. Follow me and Simi on Twitter. I'm at Michael Zakond. Simi is at underscore Simi underscore. It's a terrible username, but you should definitely reach (laughs) out to him because he knows a lot.
2: In the meantime, let us know what you think. We love to hear your feedback, but catch us next Wednesday on episode number three at the Our Future podcast.
1: And remember to stay frosty, baby. Boom.